Volume. Welcome to Transparency Talks, the member-oriented podcast focused on issues of truth, transparency, and trust produced by Volume. I'm Jeff Kelly Lowenstein, founder and executive director of the Center for Collaborative Investigative Journalism, or CCIJ. You can find out more about our work at ccij.io, that's ccij.io. And I'm thrilled and honored to be joined here today by a friend and colleague, Layla Rickliffe, Operations Manager of Civic Tech Organization Open Up, based in Cape Town, South Africa. Welcome to Transparency Talks, Layla, and thank you very much for joining us. Thanks, Jeff. It's a pleasure to be here. I know. Thank you, Layla. And so, Layla, what we what we like to do in these conversations is have people not only talk about the work they do, but really about who they are, their lives, what motivates them, what brings them to do the work they do. And one thing I wanted to start by asking was, you have a very interesting and mixed uh, background uh, from, from different religions, different ethnic and racial groups. Uh, so can you just talk a little bit about your background and how that has contributed to uh, the work that you now do? Yeah, so my background is exceptionally mixed. I think it's a product of being a South African in many ways in that um, South Africa has always been a like a a melting pot of different cultures, um, having come for different reasons and through different means to this country at different points in time. And I just come from one of those families where my grandparents, my great-grandparents, my great-great-grandparents, they all got here at different times and from completely different regions of the world um, and also different religious backgrounds. So, of course, you have your... um, your part colonial descent um, where it touches on the um, the United Kingdom. So I have some um, ancestors from that background. I have a lot of ancestors from India and Pakistan. I have ancestors uh, like great-grandparents from Iran and who traveled through Afghanistan, settled in Pakistan, moved to Syria. Um, I also have Egyptian Jewish heritage and a Polish Jewish heritage. I have various um, Islamic heritages as well. And I think that this combination and the emphasis that my particular family had placed on um, preserving, including Yemen, um, our heritage from those regions was always very, um, was always at the forefront of how they raised me. They always felt their cultural heritage. And especially when you come from such a diverse background that it's like the grounds for establishing um, themes of peace and unity and understanding and tolerance. And they would always bring that up in the many ways or point to why we do things a certain way in this way is actually because your great grandfather is from here and this is where that comes from. And I think it was difficult growing up um, balancing an identity and especially not my whole family um, really recognizes the diversity of our origins. And also um, when you come from a family that is as mixed, it means that your first cousin's are completely almost like half different from what you are. So you aren't really close to anyone. You're only really close to your parents and your sister. I have one sister. Um, And somehow you feel like there are differences even between first cousins that are inexplainable. And sometimes like there's a lack of understanding there. Um, So I think that all those elements coming together definitely influenced where I, or how I pursued what I would eventually do. Um, and the space I'm eventually involved with, like civic tech, journalism, media, the creative arts, those are areas that I felt I could express this and that also that could benefit from my contribution in having such a diverse outlook um, and such a high, I think, threshold for tolerance and um, pursuit of peace and unity and understanding and learning. And yeah, that would be a little bit about, about my background which has been, it's been interesting also just over the years as you grow up um, learning and uncovering more and more. And the only thing that really, well, a lot of these answers that I was looking for um, 
was actually embedded in the different stories and name combinations and just peeling that apart and digging in was an investigation of its own. And I think just years of doing that um, also just made me want to work in a way where I would need to do or exercise that skill that I eventually developed through my background. Well, it's fascinating, Layla, and I can say personally that I have benefited uh, from that mixture when Dunreath and I visited uh, Open Up, uh, not this past summer, but the summer of 2019, you, you shared with us a delicious challah that your family had made, and I hadn't realized <laughs> the Jewish part of your heritage. <laughs> but it was very interesting, too, because it was yeah. a challah with, with garlic and honey, which was just a very unusual... I'd never had that combination before, but I think that speaks to that, that mixture, that creativity, that operating in different spaces, that quest for identity, the, you know, where do I belong? So, so really, really fascinating stuff. Can, can you talk a little bit, Layla, about your, in light of this, can you talk a little bit about your professional journey? Because it, it has been a very interesting journey. And I know you've, you've uh, spoken and, and written even about uh, your uh, journey toward charting your own path, uh, rather than what others might have you do. So can you, can you talk a little bit about, you know, kind of your, your journey, what you've studied, what you've done, and how you've managed to decide this is the contribution I want to make, and then actually made that contribution? Definitely. Um, so growing up, I grew up in Cape Town City. Um, but by the age of 10, my family decided that um, a change is due. And we all had very particular interests and we loved traveling. And my parents were like, okay, well, let's leave the city and move to the countryside um, where we can focus on, where more of our focus was on our interests and our hobbies and developing ourselves rather than, um, I think, the demands that a city life sometimes has of you to maintain your space in that city life so we moved to the garden route and I really think that this is um, at the age of 10 where a lot of things changed for me personally um, when I was young my mom had actually booked us a trip to America which was a big deal for us and in our family at the time and she said you know, when she was growing up, she always said um, one day when she has children, she'd love to take them to Disney World just to show them that anything is possible. And um, because obviously that was the idea of like this fantasy, like you can dream big. And my mom was a very creative person as my grandmother. They were um, largely involved in like the fashion space. And um, just my grandmother was also herbalist. And yeah, so like we were always creating things. There was this creation in the home. Um, and my mom eventually took us um, and it it seemed very really far out for the community that I came from, for my mom to book us a trip to America, to go to Disney World and to like see all these things that are fantastical and magical, um, at least how it was perceived. And that really, and from that point forward, she always just strived to include that in our lives. And I think even in the decisions I would make later in my life, it was always about how could I include um, a more limitless idea of what is possible and I've learned that you don't have to stick to the mold. You don't have to, even if something is only available to you in one form, you can still work with the individual parts of that form that it comes in and carve your own space within it. So even when I was studying um, and I eventually studied film and media, journalism, philosophy, I tried to touch on as much of the humanities um, where it intersected with like real tangible digital skills and a focus on education because I thought that those combinations would, would work well together or play well together. Um, and eventually I, I graduated high school with obviously having spent at least um, eight years in the countryside in the garden route in a small village called Wilderness, um, which was close to other small towns which are more popularly known such as Nisner and Plettenberg Bay. And um, and yeah, and most of my time was just spent investing in interests, hobbies, culture, learning, trying to learn and sing in different languages, trying to like piece my family history together. Um, and then obviously uh, saving a lot of money and my family just taking us on international trips to just keep 
um, I guess, adding to our experience as much as possible. And I was always very hands-on in the family. Like I once asked my father to teach me how to do the books for the business. And um, I would, even we had a, a shop and like I would work at the toll. So I tried to acquire as many skills as I could quite early on. Um, and then the, sometimes the only, because we lived quite remotely from, I guess, a city or urban center. And at the time, the nearest, like biggest town didn't even have a shopping mall. So you'd have to drive from place to place to get everything you needed. And that was really exciting because it meant on the weekends, I wasn't as much, I was with people, but I wasn't as much like with friends doing like random young things. I was maybe going to the beach or I was out on a hike or doing that. Like that was our entire lifestyle. Um, and then naturally when I finished high school, my parents asked me if I wanted to study overseas. And I said, well, that seems like an interesting idea. Um, my sister had applied to do her, so she's in the marine conservation space and she had applied to do her like sort of practical year in Malaysia um, working on different islands and working with different conservation of marine life. So I said, okay, well, there's like a really interesting art university in Malaysia. Um, and I said, okay, well, I'll apply there. And if I get in, I'd like to go there. So my parents, we kind of moved there for two years. Um, and this particular experience, I think shaped a lot of the direct decision to do certain things and eventually get involved in civic tech and why I kind of hopped around a bit before I ended up in civic tech because I wasn't quite satisfied with what I could find to do. Um, and I ended up studying in Malaysia for two years. But the interesting part about the university that I was studying at, um, at least around 30 to 40% of all the students were from the African continent and majority of them had reached the university through various government schemes and scholarships and that sort of thing. And I found it quite interesting because it was different from the opportunities that we had in South Africa to go study overseas. Like they weren't, they weren't like entire government schemes paid with universities overseas that I was aware of. Um, and then also just exposure to so much diversity of the African continent, which also wasn't as accessible to me within Africa in Cape Town and in South Africa. Um, so I, I definitely learned a lot during that time, but overall the university also had about like 60 to 70% was just foreign students. And majority of the foreign students that weren't African or from the African continent were from the Arabian Gulf, Central Asia and like other neighboring Southeast Asian countries. And the types of situations that we encountered when I was living there, because um, my mom actually eventually got a job as the sort of counselor of all the foreign students. And, you know, you kind of go overseas and you expect to have this wonderful experience and you're going to study and you're probably going to learn a lot and you're going to learn a lot of real like hard things, but you're also going to have like, well, it's your study as it's supposed to be, you know, philosophical and romantic and all of those elements that go into like what you see um, on television and I kind of got there I don't know why I thought my life was going to be like that because my life has always been very interesting and busy um, but I got there and I realized that actually the next two years of my life will be testing my humility it will be testing my tolerance will be testing my endurance my patience my ability to like not turn a blind eye but have to turn a blind eye because there's nothing you can do about what you're seeing um, so there was a lot of corruption, nepotism. Um, there was a high suicide rate in my university. My friends were disappearing and they come back after weeks. Um, I'd be like, oh, I thought you something happened and you went back to you know, your home country. And they'd be like, no, I've been in jail the whole time um, just because I'm black or because I was at the wrong place and spoke to the wrong person and something happened and they blamed me. And like um, my mom would visit morgues, she would visit like AIDS, like out retreats where they send all the AIDS um, victims in the country where students were volunteering. She was encountering things like money handed, money laundering, like just like everything that you could imagine. My sister also worked in the government at the time as a researcher. And so we kind of got her view of what conservation was like in the country. And so it was a very dark and um, an intense experience. I definitely learned a ton and would never ask for that experience to be taken away from me. But I realized that, you know, when your civic, when your freedoms as just a 
not even just a citizen, because obviously I wasn't a citizen in that country, but when your freedoms just as a human being are on every level challenged and like everywhere you look, you're seeing injustice of someone else, something that's happening, money not reaching people, they not being able to feed themselves. Also students getting large sums of money and being ill-equipped to spend it and spending more than they should because they're not used to it because there's no sort of... Um, there's no process in place to equip people to handle the situations that they end up in. Rape, suicides, like crazy, crazy things were going on. Um, you kind of like reflect and you're like, well, I, I know in the position I am here right now, there's nothing that I can do because I kind of am powerless. But with all of this that I've learned, um, I can go home because the idea is, you know, you leave so that you can bring something of more value back. I can go home and I can try and find a way in my own country to address some of these things, or at least to work in a space that's looking at some of these issues that I'm seeing elsewhere. Um, and yeah, and so I guess my, I've always been interested in journalism because storytelling and stories were such a big thing in my family. And I kind of thought, okay, well, journalism, a combination of journalism, history, um, creative arts, you, you can do a lot with that skill set. And then also skills were emphasized in my family. My family, I think we're very practical minded. And they always said, you know, you, you can have your studies, but you should also learn a trade because, you know, when one thing goes wrong, you can always fall back on that. And so this element of having to balance, um, am I being too theoretical? Let me develop a skill on the side. Am I being too, am I focusing too much on the skills? Let me make sure I understand what I can do with them and how they're going to be beneficial. And so that playing the role of accountability of all the different aspects of what you're investing your time in was really um, the way that I went through university. And I ended up doing a lot of very like tangible, hard skills learning. And then also a lot of like theoretical, do I understand what's going on around me? Um, do I understand how different people perceive something? Um, and yeah, and so that was kind of how I moved through. And I ended up focusing, as I said, on journalism, on film, on digital media and the creative arts as a way of, I'm sure I could help society with this combination. Mm -hmm. Wow, what an experience or set of experiences in, uh, in Malaysia and then the moving uh, to the garden route and you know, just really, really uh, riveting stuff, Layla. Um, I wanted to just read you a quote that you said, uh, it's, on, it's on an interview in Open Up, uh, about Open Up, and you say, I am pragmatic, meticulous, and diplomatic. I am passionate about the preservation of human values and approach everything in life from a point of humanity and kindness. So, so can you talk a little bit about that self-reflection in light of what you do at Open Up, and I can certainly testify to the uh, meticulous, diplomatic, pragmatic nature, as well as the humanity and kindness which which you approach uh, approach life from our interactions, both on a personal and professional level. But can you talk about that self-assessment or that self-evaluation, uh, and then the work that you do at Open Up? Definitely. Um, thanks for quoting that. I'm like, oh, did I write that? <laughs> um, yes. Okay. So I definitely, values are important to me. Principles are important to me. I always believe, I think um, every generation in my family has been defined by some sort of quality that we try. And my grandmother was big on hope. Like you should never lose hope. And she was like drilled that in us. My mother was big on like charity, like the idea that you must always give, you know, you will get through other means, but like make sure that whatever you do, you give fairly. Um, and I, I always felt like in my generation, boundaries, um, especially with a lot of things that are happening in the world and a lot of challenges and also just the, ex the level of exposure that you have, but there's almost no filter in this world anymore. Um, and so, you know, in order to move through it, you have to have some sort of boundary that you can attach yourself to. Um, so you know that every decision you're making, you really have, thought it out because you have some sort of fence through which you've worked with it within. Um, and so a lot of that idea of um, humanity and kindness, uh, those are my boundaries. And within Open Up, 
um, I'm very fortunate to work in a place where we really don't have, at least not that I've experienced and not that I've seen others experience um, yet, uh, discrimination of any kind within the organization. And we also an organization that we have to be able to sleep at night based on the decision we made. And if we can't sleep at night, then we know we need to dig dig deeper. Um, and we have very open conversations about that. And for me, being able to do this work or work that's going to contribute meaningfully, I hope, to something um, or to someone in this world, I felt like the only way that you can really do that is if you have some sort of criteria or some moral compass. Um, because I think there's a lot of opportunities in the work that we do. And you can easily make decisions because you're overly enthusiastic about something or because you, um, because an opportunity arises, just because an opportunity is there doesn't mean it's the right thing. And I think working in an organization that also has a measure of influence um, within the space that we're working and even within the country, I think Open Up has um, created quite a name and quite a, a strong brand for itself. And we pop up everywhere. I feel like we also could influence the direction of things. And so you have to think really carefully about what that means to have that. You know that saying with power comes, with great power comes great responsibility, something like that. Mm -hmm. um, it's very much recognizing that cliched statement in a very tangible and actionable way and saying like, well, if it comes with responsibility, what is that responsibility and how am I going to navigate that? Um, and especially because there are so many opportunities and also because we live in a country that has so much need. And I always say it's a, it's a good thing to live in a country that has a lot of need because there's like around every corner is an opportunity to do good. Um, and like how you invest your time is also a big thing that I was raised with. You know, if I have X amount of hours in the day, what did I do with it? Like if I died, you know, by tonight, like would I be happy with how I spent the last three hours? And I think just because I come from a background where you constantly have to hold yourself account, and if you're not holding yourself account, your mom or your sister's gonna hold your account um, <laughs> in your thoughts, in your in the, your statement. You know, like it was it was very. I grew up very. I was I always say I wasn't raised. I was trained <laughs> because that's how it felt. It wasn't it wasn't a negative experience at all. But it wasn't. It was like an experience of accountability. You couldn't just do something because you felt like doing it. You had to have a reason for why you wanted to do it. You couldn't just want something because it looked nice or because you felt for like a chocolate. You had to say like you wanted it in your heart. Like you wanted it. You didn't want it because you just saw it and then you had some feeling of attraction to it or something. Mm. Um, so I guess my mom had um, instilled a conscience and a consciousness in me to question everything that I'm doing and not question it in a problematic way, but to like try and peel deeper down, like what is this thing? And Open Up was an organization headed by a D where fairness and um, was, was really pushed a lot. Like, you know, are we doing this? And is it the most fair way that we're doing it? Is this what's actually needed? Or is this just what's available? You know, you're always asking those questions. Adi always asks us, um, and he uses one project as an example, the evictions project that we did. Um, and he always says, we had this money to do this project. In the year that we spent that money, um, could we have how we could have housed X amount of people was what we did and contributed more valuable than giving someone a roof over the head for a year. You know, like those kinds of things are actually brought onto the table and we are as employees and just in our personal capacity expected to actually answer to that and hold ourselves account to that because it's true. Like we could have done a lot with that money. Did we move that thing forward? And if we didn't, did we at least learn something and we can say, you know what, that isn't the way to do it. Try this way. You know, did we at least cross something off the list then? Um, and that kind of very much aligned with me because I feel if you want to do good in this world, you also need to carry good values or want goodness for the world. Um, it's, I think it's the difference between good actions and good will. You know, the will to do good and doing good things. Those are very different things. Um, and those are things that I definitely bring into my work and that definitely inform how we do things at Open Up. And I think I fit it in at Open Up um, and I helped to contribute hopefully to this culture of preserving this thing that we do, which I think we do very well. And that is accountability. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, I, I would certainly agree with that. And uh, I would uh, certainly say that Open Up has made a, a mark for itself, not just within South Africa, but really uh, globally. I mean, uh, Open Up was a huge part of the uh, Gupta Leaks project, which you know ultimately led to the uh, ouster of, of former President Zuma and, and more broadly, you know, uh, exposing the, the, the degree which I think people knew in South Africa, but really could no longer deny the degree of, you know, state capture, if you want to call it that, but essentially just completely corrupted uh, political process and culture in less than a quarter century after the, the dramatic moments of liberation. So I think Open Up has definitely made major contributions and uh, I, I'm very moved by what you shared around the, the, the questioning of, you know, is what we have done worth it? Now, I will say, Layla, if, if you want chocolate, you don't have to explain that to me. You can have chocolate anytime you want. <laughs> Thanks, Jim. <laughs> no, no, I'll I, I, my I, mouth <laughs> Yeah, please. No, no, but I did, I did want to, I did want to uh, ask you, because you have talked a certain amount about your mother and your sister and, and your grandmother and great grandmother, and and I did want to talk to you about um, your experience and and role and reflections on on being a woman and being a woman in civic tech in this space. I know we had one conversation, I believe it was last year, where there was there was like these uh, you know the hashtag Am I Next was was trending in South Africa because all these women were being attacked. And killed some some in the in in the in the Cape region, and you you shared with me, Layla, this very poignant reflection. If I remember correctly, you were traveling with your sister, uh, and I think it was in Turkey, uh, if I remember correctly. And you were you were basically saying, you know, Jeff, I felt more free in Turkey uh, than than I feel in my in my home country, and that was just a very poignant uh, expression of of you know your experiences as a woman and uh, you know, you're, you're, you're uh, pretty young, you're, you're physically not, not a very tall person. So can, can you just talk a little bit about um, your experience and thoughts about being a woman, being a feminist in, in this professional and personal ways that you've decided to dedicate your energies and values at this point? Yeah, so personally, um, I think just being a woman in this world is a, as you have read countless um, things online, it's it's not an easy thing. It is very scary and it's a big responsibility. Um, I'm fortunate nothing significant has happened to me, thankfully. Um, honestly, I don't even know how that's possible, but I'm just grateful that that is the case. Um, but I can definitely say traveling alone for work, um, moving around in different sectors because obviously um, our work traverses many different sectors in the country and each sector has its own intrinsic culture and um, its own discriminations and its own you know just way of doing things and I initially in the space of civic tech I, I found it very challenging to quickly as well as quick as possible try and learn okay we're working with government like how do government officials behave like how um what are the boundaries what are the lines you know there's a lot more casual interaction um so you're more vigilant um as a woman i remember traveling with a colleague and just you know you have to obviously do the whole networking thing and so after the meeting you go to braai and it's just kind of not my comfort zone and i can't read the cues because i don't understand is this just overly comfortable is it or is it like crossing the line i can't understand so you know situations like that where you just have to learn on the fly and pay attention and be observant and the best part of I think working with open up is that you can talk about all these things um, explicitly and you can say these are my fears these are my concerns how do we support that how do we move forward this is my experience of it this, these are my boundaries um, because of my unique context and that kind of thing and so I did raise a lot of that um, and I tried to discuss what you know how, what it means to be a woman traveling for work what it means to be this and trying like carve out 
what that means for the organization in how we do things. Okay, well, maybe they should always be a male that travels with. Um, maybe people should be traveling in teams. Okay, you don't always need to go to those social events or that kind of thing. And so I think there's a responsibility to working for an organization that does have such an open mind um, and that is so aware of the individual experience of working in the space that we're working in because you kind of feel like you have to be some kind of role model. Um, you have to tell people about it. You have to talk about it so that people know that there is an alternative way that only that can be met through simple open conversation or adapting policy or um, just taking the time to think that something can very in its logistic and operational planning can automatically change your experience as a woman of participating in a particular event or traveling to a particular location. Um, I've traveled abroad for work. Um, I actually ended up in a terrible accident. It obviously has nothing to do with being a woman, but I, I ended up in a terrible oh. accident in Tanzania um, oh. where someone in the opposite car actually lost their life and our car went tumbling. And up until that point, I never thought about what if I die while traveling for work? Um, what if, you know, like, what if I'm paralyzed because I've traveled for work? So a lot of things quite early on, um, I learned very quickly. I was like, okay, there are all sorts of dangers, not just being a woman. But when I was in that car in that foreign country and it was 3 a.m. in the morning, it was just me and the driver. And I was like half falling asleep and like I would count to 10 seconds and open my eyes and just like try and stay awake and then sleep for 10 seconds and, you know, kind of get rest and stay also somewhat awake with the driver. But like it was within the 10 seconds that my eyes were closed that this whole thing happened. So I only heard sounds. It was mm. really scary. But what mm. happened afterwards is the driver cleared the car and I wasn't sure if maybe, you know, you don't know, um, maybe he wasn't even registered. Maybe he was scared himself. Like there's a foreign in the car. I don't know what it means legally in that country. Um, so he kind of got out and disappeared into the darkness. And I wasn't sure that he was coming back. I didn't have any way to contact the organization that I had visited um, to let them know that this thing happened. And all these, like I swear, every man that was in the nearby vicinity all of a sudden came running to the car and banging on the windows. And obviously I don't na na like naturally think that they want to do anything to me, but as a young woman in the dark with a driver that's fled, you don't know. Um, and so like those kinds of experiences, they, they happen unexpectedly and you never prepared for it. You just never are. And I think just living with that level of uncertainty. Um, and I think what helps is really as much as you can while you're in a place or in a situation is learn as much as possible about what's happening around you, about the culture of people, about, you know, whatever you can get that you can use when you do find yourself in a situation, just store somewhere at the back of your mind. I also wondered how far am I from the airport? Because I know like we should almost be there. And I saw these cylindrical, so in Dar es Salaam, these, these uh, just shortly after the airport, these, these concrete cylindrical um, structures, I'm not sure what's filled in there, maybe it's obvious but like I didn't know um and I saw them in the far distance and I was like oh I am actually close to the airport the airport is literally up the road from where we are um and then I kind of looked around and I was like waiting and I had all my valuables like my camera on me in plain sight and you know you kind of think of all these things I'm like wow I'm such a target sitting here in a ditch in a smashed up car at 3 a.m in a foreign country and all you can think of shit I'm a woman <laughs> like I'm a woman like this can go horribly wrong if this driver doesn't come back. Um, and yeah, and so that's kind of the types of experiences that I think you should be prepared for as anyone working in any industry. But like I say, mm. it helps that the organization that I work for is so open that I could come back with that experience. And, you know, not only were they prepared to discuss with me what would have, if something had happened, this is how they would have dealt with it, which obviously at the end of the day puts your mind at ease. But the fact that, you know what, even travel from that point forward was looked at differently. Um, after every experience, we've adjusted the way we've traveled. We've made concessions. We've had those conversations. And I think it's not as much about the world needs to be perfect as much as the spaces that we or the environments that we are coming from 
can accommodate the many ways that the world is imperfect. Mm. Well, that's a very uh, riveting and uh, unsettling and scary experience. Uh, I, did, did the driver come back? He did come back um, and we, the car could at least start. So all of the people that ran, they actually ran to help and see if I was alive. So that was a wonderful turn of events and they helped push the car out of the ditch. And like, I don't know, like you could run, you could literally walk slowly faster than the car was moving, but we managed to get to the entrance of the, um, of the airport and he kind of just dumped me on the side of the road, but that was fine. I could walk from that point oh. forward. Um, but yeah, and the, like it was just it worked all fine. But I think it was an important lesson and an important experience. Well, and I, ironically, um, and, and I, uh, ironically, the fact that you were even just for those seconds doz dozing almost, your body might have been more relaxed. So perhaps uh, it, the damage wasn't as bad to your body as it might have been had you been awake and seen it and tensed up. But still. What an experience. My goodness, Layla. Wow. Definitely. Now, uh, uh, another thing uh, in light of that that I wanted to uh, get, get your thoughts about was uh, I, I noticed that there's sort of a theme in, in your, 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 a little bit of what you've written. I read one comment that you were talking about kind of the need for the work year to be shorter and you're talking about boundaries. But, but it seems like balance is an important theme for you. Uh, can you talk a little bit about, am I right about that? And can you talk about how you think about balance in the various aspects of your life, Layla? Um, yeah, so balance is definitely a theme, the middle way. Um, it's a theme that pops up in both my religious backgrounds as well. So maybe it's also drilled in me to always try and find the middle way that's really the fine piece, you know, those kinds of conversations of which you would also be familiar with. Um, but yeah, so balance is also, I think, um, it's a combination of patience and endurance, which funny enough, while like um, there's, a, there's a term in Arabic, which is quite, it's quite associated, like we, we always use it in Islam um, in terms of like, you should always have sabr, and sabr directly translates to patient endurance. So I think it's befitting. Um, but the idea that you're going to have to go through some things, but you're going to have to go through them patiently. You're gonna like you can expect that things are going to happen. You have you're going to have a full life and hopefully a meaningful life in whatever happens, um, good and bad. And the idea that there's always good in something. There's always something to be taken from it. Um, and it sounds cliche and in certain circumstances, honestly, I don't even know how people um, are able to preserve such a thought because I think the world has a lot of dark moments um, that are really difficult you know, at an individual level, at a personal, intimate level, um, and just politically as well. And sometimes it's, it's difficult to be hopeful or to find the good in something. But I think, um, but I, I think there is. I think that if you if you can't fight it, you can use it, you know. Um, and even in my work, I've always found that I couldn't just implement for the organization if I didn't understand what the organization itself is. Um, and I think that's what actually moved me from where I started in the organization um, as a newsroom developer to operations manager was I felt I couldn't make decisions, even implementation decisions, if I didn't understand what the organization believes or what its mission is, or if it aligned to that, or if it was fair, or if a deal would be able to sleep at night if I made such a decision. Um, there's always that, and it comes, that balance also comes to that theme of accountability mm. where you just have to kind of be as sure as you can be in a situation, be as accountable to a decision you make as you can be. And I found in the work of civic tech and the world that we're working in, um, and especially where it as cross-disciplinary as it is, where it touches on journalism, we work with civil society, we work with local government, national government, um, corporate space as well. I feel, and academics as well, I feel like because you 
in there to, to like sort of progress your own mission as an organization and as the space of civic tech. At the same time, you're collaborating with an entirely different organization with its own mission and its own goals and its own values. And what you ultimately want is not only to contribute to that end space that you are both in collaboration contributing to, but you also want to make sure that if you're moving forward, that that organization is moving forward and that in our moving forward, we, um, we are impacting or contributing to some sort of impact in the real world. Mm. And I think it's just, it's, it's less of like a philosophy of balance as it is like a, what does progress mean to you? You know, what, like, is it just our success? Is it the success of someone else as well? Is it the success of the end user, you know, the impact, the citizen? Um, Does it all matter? Is the only room for one to win? Like, you know, you have to ask all these questions because civic tech itself and what impact means in this space is very young um, and no one's really cracked it yet. So I also think that um, we can have a big contribution by trying to bring in all of these considerations and criteria and trying to find the best way to be the best support. And I always say um, in conversation, my favorite like film award is not like the who won the best actress or the best um, actor award or whatever. It's who won the best supporting actress and the best supporting Mm. actor award because I think to be able to be a phenomenal support is more valuable than to be the best, you know, um, mm. it's more dynamic. Well, that's, that's one of many uh, profound things you've said, Layla, and it relates to another question <clears throat> that I had, which is, I've, I'm picking up a theme of, of you talking about holding yourself to account, but also of always questioning and trying to improve and I, I was interested at one point, I read that you wrote about this idea of character refinement. And can you talk about character refinement and what that means to you, both as you think of it in your own personal growth and development as you're continuing to define that, but also then as it does relate to the work of Open Up, because it does feel to me like there is this similar continual effort to assess, to, to reflect, to evaluate, to say, how could we be better? How could we be more supportive? So can you talk a little bit about character refinement, please? Definitely. Um, Character refinement to me um, is the overall represents, it's a term that represents the overall progression of yourself as like a human in this world. Um, And the thing about character is that it's practiced. It's not like a skill in a workplace that, um, you know, like I can analyze or filter numbers, okay? Um, Well, that's a very poor example, but nevertheless, I can analyze numbers, but I can only use it for this part of the work or for for that part of the work. I feel like character is something that comes out in our work. It comes out in our personal life. It's it's like almost like an element of ourselves that that is used um, throughout everything that we do and everything that we interact with. And it's the basis of every interaction and the eventual source of like the way we make decisions in a lot of cases. And um, I like in my religious traditions, um, both in the Jewish and Islamic traditions, character is emphasized. Um, At least it was in the way that my family had, I guess, taught me or raise me, um, that character is the most important. And that if you focus on the development of your character, all the other things will come naturally. Um, You wouldn't need a law to tell you to behave in a particular way because your character would be refined enough that it would be a part of you to behave in that way. And it was always a big deal about trying to be that thing or embody that thing rather than just randomly do it because that's what you need to do. So the idea that there are aspects of ourselves and of our morals and our values and principles that should be ingrained into how we think. It should be how we make decisions. It should be the basis of many things. Um, And also that if you move forward, like you're an entire human being, like you have many parts of yourself 
And you can't only develop one side of yourself and leave another part of yourself behind. And of course, we do live in a world where there's a need for, you know, secular education and intellectual development and development of skills and trades and that kind of thing. But how you practice those trades is influenced and should be influenced by your character mm. um, and, and what decisions or paths you go down or what you choose to impact should again come from that. So it should be guided. There must be one aspect of yourself that you develop to guide other aspects of yourself. And this was character refinement in my family. Um, and there was, it was taught almost scientifically, like it was a very technical way that it was approached and observed. And again, that's where the accountability and the reflection comes from. And in Open Up, because we do want to have some kind of contribution, um, every aspect of every decision that we make is questioned. Like, are we, and every decision we are noting even if not documenting on paper so to speak but we are consciously able to answer if a asks why did you do this and not this we can actually answer why we did that and not the other thing um and sometimes we just grapple with how do we formulate a process to make that just the way that we work and that's currently what we're working on now is just all these things that we subtly practicing um to actually do develop it into a process and recommend that this is a way that you can actually do this kind of work of civic tech or even mm. just work with others. How do we work with partners? That's also a whole lesson. The one thing that I've learned is um, throughout my time at Open Up, sometimes I think honestly, a lot of the opportunities that we have gotten and a lot of um, what a lot of good things or favors that we were able to ask was on the basis that everybody who speaks about ID always mentions his good character. Like there was like, he's trustworthy. And for me, if people just can um, feel like they can support us just because a D was like represented or carried himself in a way and in his decisions, it was evident that he was a sincere, trustworthy person, then surely that is, um, that must be the backbone of like what open up has come to be is that we recognize that and that we also ourselves believe in that as being principle um, in our work. And because our work is citizen-centered and user-centered, you have to apply those more empathetic um, kind of um, investigations to how you're gonna do the work, what decision you're gonna make. Because at the end of the day, as technologists, um, we are somewhat in control of how something's going to turn out. So we can do something because maybe it interests us or because we think it's a good idea or because we've always wanted to dabble in that thing. But it's, again, you dominating a space that, um, and you're deciding which direction it's going in with, with partners, obviously, but that's a big responsibility. Um, mm -hmm. And I think a strong character is needed to, to guide those decisions. Well, uh, thank, thank you for that elaboration, uh, Layla, you know, kind of a multidimensional elaboration. Um, and in light of that, actually, one question I was interested in hearing is I did read in one, in one venue, uh, it said your favorite book is uh, Forensic Architecture. And I was actually not familiar before preparing for this conversation with what forensic architecture is, but it really speaks to that last idea, if I understood it correctly, that last idea that you were expressing around, you know, kind of the role of technology in shaping certain environments. But can you talk a little bit about forensic architecture as an idea, the book, and then why that was so interesting and compelling to you? Yeah. So in terms of the book, um, obviously it covers a very politically charged um, area. And um, and so there's a lot of like, I think there's somewhat a lot of sometimes um, that is in that book. But overall, I really like the work that they do. I think that um, in terms of the work itself, the ability to use what you have available to you in whatever form it comes in and work from that point forward. Um, there was an investigation they did into Syrian prison, um, the Syrian prison. It's like famous prison that no one's ever seen or been to. And they used um, basically verbal 
like they interviewed different prisoners who were there. Um, they didn't have any sort of visual of what that space was looking like. And through the experience of being in that prison, through their treatment, um, different things that happened through just verbal record and I guess like oral record, they were able to actually draw the entire prison, for example. And it's just like thinking creatively about if you can't get the thing that you need to do something, what do you have to do that thing? And I think this is also um, very concrete in user, you know, user design and that sort of thing and user journeys and working with what you have. Like for me, that's always been such a, you always have to be resourceful. You know, the world is not perfect and you're definitely not going to necessarily get what you should get and what you deserve and what should be transparent and what should be accessible. But what you have that could maybe allow you to access a specific space and the way that they've conducted their investigations um, and the cross-disciplinary nature of it, that for me was absolutely fascinating because it was something that I think, I mean, we practice it on a much smaller scale um, we try and find ways and we do try and do um, work that's going to alleviate or shed light on and transparency on particular issues. But for them to, I think, um, map out step by step the way that they've done something as a method of you can also think this way, that the things that people create are valuable to us, that um, there are different ways that you can use it is, is the same as the thinking you you do when you work with data, um, you put two columns and all of a sudden you have a story you never had before. Um, you know, a data attribute such as a geographical point can also all of a sudden open a world of story possibilities that weren't there with the column wasn't, or that attribute wasn't a part of the data. So I think I recognized and resonated a lot with that way of thinking of, if you take a step back and don't look at the content of what you have, but look at the form of what you have, then what could you do with that? Because that's the beginning of something. Um, and I had a, a friend contact me last week and she was doing a data training and she was saying she's having such a hard time because the data that the group wanted is not available. And the data that is available is from sources that they feel that won't, don't represent or capture the experience and they don't trust it necessarily and either way it will be missing what they need um and you know just hearing people struggle and that hopelessness of like we really need something at this moment in time she was doing training um online but for people based in um beirut which obviously we all know what's going on there at the moment mm. and you know i was saying you know that might help is this user experience method um, that I had encountered in another training a year ago that we did with municipal officials. Um, we had some guests coming from Australia and they did a tech for non-tech training. And this curriculum wasn't well suited for what we were doing. Um, but ultimately one of the individuals on the team is a developer and a programmer and has a completely different background in user experience. And he said, this is something that he actually does with his clients. And he said, okay, if a municipal official were able to identify one issue that would come up um, in their week, like what was one issue? And then they said, okay, well, you don't have any advanced technical skills or anything like that. So how would you solve that problem? What do you have available? And they started mapping out, they have a computer available. They have access to a particular person. Like what are the resources and sources and in what forms do they exist? And then if that's all you have, how would you address that citizen's issue? Um, and it just, it's so simple, but it makes you take a step back and look at the form of things, not just the content. Um, and it helps you to, move forward and I think that that's what forensic architecture do. They, they don't have um, the direct things that they need to answer specific questions by various um, human rights organizations that approach them to do these investigations. But there's always something that exists and it's sometimes about finding out what that thing is and how else can it be used in a non-conventional or not obvious way. And yeah, and so that was why I was so fascinated by this organization and their work was just because I think just it it shed light on a different way of doing things or an alternative approach. Well, uh, uh, thank you for elaborating on that. 
Layla, I definitely want to read the book. And when you're talking about that Syrian prison, it reminds me when Dunreath and I were in Chile, there is a, uh, a place there called Via Grimaldi. And Via Grimaldi first was a villa uh, where, where you know, kind of people would go and relax and enjoy themselves. And then during the dictatorship, it was essentially a concentration camp. And in fact, uh, former President Bachelet and her mother were both detained there. But at the end of the dictatorship, the, pe the people who were uh, running it, running the, the Via Grimaldi, destroyed it. They, they took it down to the ground so that there would be no records. They tried to stride all the paperwork to preserve themselves. But what happened is now it is a, a site of memory and they talked to former prisoners and they looked at former prisoners sketches and, and, and listen to the oral histories. And from that, they have reconstructed what Via Grimaldi was based on, uh, as, as you were talking about with the Syrian prison, even though there was not access to what it looked like because it was physically destroyed by the people who had been those who had carried out the torture and the abuse, uh, they, they, they reconstructed. So it's reminding me of that resourcefulness that, that, you're, that you're talking about. Um, so thank you for that. Layla, is there anything I haven't asked you? I know when we're talking about patient endurance, I, I know from uh, uh, dancing with, with you and Julia at the 2017 Global Investigative Journalism Conference that you definitely have endurance. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Jim. <Jeff. laughs> but but is, there anything, is there anything I haven't asked you uh, about where you wanna go, or about your, your life or your background. It's been a very uh, enjoyable conversation from my side, but is there anything I haven't asked? I've tried to prepare myself uh, to learn more, but is there anything that, that, that you would like to share or that I haven't asked you that would be important to know? Um, I think just, I'm very happy where I am now. Um, being operations manager definitely gives me a different perspective of the civic tech space it gives me a different idea of um what you know the business aspect of it at the end of the day it's still a business and you know no salaries need to be paid lights need to be kept on um and so i think you know you evolve and you develop and you grow because you take on those responsibilities but the one thing that has kept me aligned and been able to um help strengthen the mission of the organization and make sure that every employee is as comfortable as possible with what we're doing, that the diversity is being represented in our decision-making is just, again, coming back to that thing of like having your own idea of what accountability looks like and being very clear. Um, there's so many opportunities out there. Genuinely, it's overwhelming. We have one particular program where like every day or every week, there's a new opportunity we could pursue or take. Um, but if you don't have yourself an idea of a bigger picture, be aware that you don't have that um, and that you could move in many directions, um, you know, and that there's an accountability to, I think that no effort is wasted, nor should it be wasted. And um, trying to if you don't have an idea of what the bigger picture is of where you're going personally in your life um, because you won't know if that's going to influence how you're making decisions in the workplace clearly I feel like there's a lot of responsibility in decision making um, and I try to take everything into account um, but I think just be very aware in the space of the idea of like we're going to go out and do good um, there's so much that you could miss there's also the idea of like things that trend versus actual needs that are out there. Do you follow what's trending because the funding's available or because that's what's of in discussion right now or what's dominating? Or do you just you know, stick to your way of doing things and be like, well, right now in this particular locality, in this particular context, this is what the need is, even if that's the trend. And just being aware of how things are moving, how the space is developing, um, and I think a lot of that's true even in journalism. Um, you know, you want to make sure that everything that you're doing as much as possible and is realistic um, contributes to moving something forward and not just staying busy. Well, tremendous. Th thank you. Thank you very much, Layla. 
uh, for joining us, for your contributions to our community. Certainly, uh, we, we uh, treasure the relationship with, with Adi and you and everybody at Open Up and are so grateful to you for all the uh, work that you do in, in the collaborative capacity and the fiscal agent capacity. So thank you so much, Layla, for joining us today. It's a pleasure, Jeff. Thank you for having me. This was a wonderful talk. This has been another episode of Transparency Talks, the member-oriented podcast focused on issues of truth, transparency, and trust produced by Volume. I'm Jeff Kelly Lowenstein, founder and executive director of the Center for Collaborative Investigative Journalism, or CCIJ. You can find out more about our work at ccij.io. That's ccij.io. Stay strong and stay true. Volume.